First Timothy chapter 1 this evening, carrying on with our discussion on training the next generation. Started this morning. See if I can get this to work here. All right, First Timothy chapter 1. We are going to continue in our discussion on training the next generation. A smooth handoff is what we have been calling it. Um, and right before the service, Brother Brian came up here with a baton. This is what a baton would look like in a relay race. And so if we were to take this baton and kind of give it as an illustration, this is the baton of knowing, loving, and serving Christ. And we're going to pass it on to the next generation, right? Um, and so that is what we're talking about. It's, it's something that we have to do with care, with diligence, and thoroughly. It's not something that should be taken lightly. It's a responsibility that each one of us have. And we've been talking about that um, this morning, and we'll, and we'll go on to talk about it next week as well. Um, but tonight, we are going to talk about the truths that we should be teaching the next generation. All right, passing on the baton to Generation Z. How many of you have ever heard of Generation Z before? All right, that is what they are calling teenagers today. Simply, um, for no really great reason at all, we've had generations throughout the past called baby boomers and things like that. But several years ago, we had Generation X. And so generations that followed have been Generation Y, and now we have Generation Z. All right, and so Generation Y, we would probably call Millennials, is that, that's another name that they have been given. But our next generation is what we would call um, Generation Z. That's what they're called in the world today. And so while I was reading a little bit about Generation Z, I came across some really mind-boggling things about this next generation. Some of them are kind of, you could probably guess, all right, like this next generation, Generation Z, has more access to anything on the internet than any other um, generation. And so many would call Generation Z the most informed generation to have ever lived because if they need to be informed about something or they want information about something, it's right on their hands, right? Um, and so that is what many people say about Generation Z. But one thing caught my eye as I was reading about Generation Z, and that was that many, play, many websites and sites were calling Generation Z post-Christian. And that caught my eye. What does post-Christian mean? Well, it's described by this. Post-Christian uh, means almost a quarter, about 20, uh, 23% of American adults um, in the Generation Y, which we would call millennials, are what they call nuns, not nuns in the Catholic sense, but like nothing, nuns, right, when it comes to religion, claiming no religious identity at all, all right? Um, and that's according to several different studies. About 23% would say that. So many Zs, Generation Zs, are growing up in homes where there's no religion whatsoever. Right? That's why they're calling it post-Christian. And they may have never or no experience of religion, so Generation Z is very secularized, is what they would say. Previous generations grew up with some sort of Judeo-Christian values of the past, but we're slowly getting away from that. 
But at least generations before had some sort of a reference point for that. So today's generation has little to no acquaintance with the gospel. That's what it's saying by post-Christian. So we really have to start almost at square one with many of Generation Z. This is the Bible. The Bible contains 66 books. It has your story and it has God's story. We have to speak um, in terms... Not like it's a generation X that has grown up in Judeo-Christian circles, but in terms of discipleship. This is what is practical to your life right now. This is what this Christian term means, whatever it might be. And that is how um, many studies are telling us to approach this next generation. And so as we talk about this, let's just review very shortly. We looked at uh, the passages in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament that tell us to be teaching the next generation, diligently teaching them. Um, We looked at the responsibility, and none of us escaped that, right? It was all of our responsibility. Parents had the most important responsibility. Pastors have a very unique responsibility, um, but all of us have a responsibility when it comes to teaching and training the next generation. Then we talked about lessons that are taught over a lifetime, but in Generation Z, they're, they're being lost in simple moments. Those lessons that we are taking a lifetime to try to teach this next generation, but then we slack off and we start to fumble that baton a little bit, and those things that we've been working towards for a lifetime are now lost because of simple decisions and simple moments. We talked about how we teach by our words, how we teach by living, by example, right? And how we teach or we learn by experience. And so that's what we looked at this morning. So how do we get a hold of the next generation of Christians. What do we teach them? Uh, We talked very simple terms this morning, right? Loving Christ and loving the church. We're going to get much deeper into that this evening. So this morning we looked at a passage in Deuteronomy um, that really told us what we are to teach them, and that is Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7. All right, this is what we are to teach Um, The next generation, teaching timeless truths to know, to love, and to serve God. We really see that in one of the passages we looked at this morning uh, when we looked at Deuteronomy. This is what to know and to love and to serve is referring to. To know means to know the Lord as personal Lord. That's the first step, right? But then knowing God also is a perpetual understanding of who He is. Continually learning more about Him. So that is to know God. We're to teach them to know our God. Teach them to love. And the passage of Deuteronomy is going to say, with all of your being. And teach them to serve with everything. And your actions, your thoughts, your decisions should be purposed to serve God. That is what we are to teach them. And we see it in Deuteronomy 6, verses 5 through 7. And it says, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart, and thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. To know, love, and serve God. That should be the main objectives in our lesson plans, if you want to say it that way. Um, I did not go to school to be a teacher. But the last couple years, I've found myself in a teaching role in a Christian school. And both years, they have something they call lesson plans. All right? 
something that was new to me. So in lesson plans, you have to do several different things. Um, you have to give it a title, right? You have to give what sources you're using. And then you have a slot for main objections or objectives in your lesson. And so in the lesson of teaching the next generation, our main objectives are to know, love, and serve God. Now, when you talk about main objectives, you're not showing up to class and just stating that over and over and over again, right? It's got a little bit more depth to it, and that's what we're going to look at tonight. So, yes, it's true that as we look at 1 Timothy, you might be thinking, this is written to a pastor, right? How is this going to apply to the next generation? Well, actually, yes, it's written to a pastor, but it also is an older man writing to a younger generation, a younger Christian. And when you look at the book of 1 Timothy, yes, there are requirements, there are things that are practical and applicable to pastors. But if you look at Scripture as a whole, almost all of them go hand in hand with Christians as well. And that's what we're going to see tonight. So we're going to look at Paul start to train Timothy here in some of these biblical principles that we are to be teaching the next generation and that Paul are very important to Timothy. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Pastors and laymen and women and parents, what we're going to look at tonight, these are the truths that we are to be teaching by our words and by our lifestyles. And teenagers here tonight, these are the truths that you should be desiring to learn. So the first thing that I see here in the book of First Timothy, all right, teaching timeless truths. Paul teaches Timothy the importance of sound doctrine. You know, one of the first things that is attacked in a young person's life when they're out from the home and out from high school, when they go to college or whatever it might be, the workplace, is sound doctrine. We need to be teaching and training the next generation in sound doctrine. That's what Paul is saying here, but it's not strictly for pastors. We see this all throughout Scripture, right? Titus 2, verse 10 says, Not purloining, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God, our Savior, in all things. The passage in 1 Timothy, Paul says, For whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men stealers, for liars, for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. Acts 2.42 says, And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, and in breaking of bread, and in prayers. Romans 16, verse 17 says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned. So what is sound doctrine? We're supposed to be teaching the next generation sound doctrine. So if you were to look at the Greek word for doctrine here, it literally means doctrine or teaching. All right, So it's sound or true teaching. That is what the literal mean, word means. So sound would mean healthy, spiritual, wholesome, as opposed to the opposite of that, which would um, be unhealthy, unspiritual. And doctrine is teaching which is according to godliness. And Paul actually further explains that in the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. So parents, pastors, and lay people tonight, we are to be teaching the next generation sound godliness. Teens, you should be learning biblical truth. That is what sound doctrine means. So laymen and women, 
of Eagle Heights Baptist Church, how can you apply this to your life? How can you teach the next generation, Generation Z, biblical truth or sound doctrine by your words and by your living? When was the last time you shared something with a teenager from the Word of God? You went up to a teenager and said, I have been praying for you, and actually have been praying for them, and said, I want to let you know what God taught me this week. Maybe that's too much work to ask. So maybe you can apply it more practically. And pastor has graciously set aside some services that we call works of God services. Maybe you need to stand up and give a testimony of sound doctrine while the next generation is watching and listening. Maybe we can take it a step further and apply it to those social media apps, you know, like Snapface and Instabook or whatever they're called, right? I'm just kidding. I'm not that far removed from this generation, okay? But maybe we need to take it to that, right? If, If the next generation were to look through your Facebook or your social media, would they be finding sound doctrine? Or are they finding something contrary to that? Hey, if you have a platform for it, why not promote sound doctrine? Why not promote biblical truth? This is something very practical that we can be teaching the next generation. That sound doctrine, that biblical truth is very important. If you have a platform for biblical truth, then you need to use it, whether it's your words whether it's your lifestyle, whether it's your social media, whatever it might be. Pastors, how can we apply teaching the next generation the importance of sound doctrine? Well, are we putting the appropriate study into God's word to be able to accurately state God's truth and God's word? Not our own opinions or not our own stories. This pulpit, while being just made of wood and it's a pulpit, should also be a symbol that when we stand behind it and we have a listening audience, it should symbolize truth. It's a sacred trust. Eagle Heights should thank the Lord for many years that Pastor Francine has stood here speaking truth. Are we living in a way that aligns with sound biblical truth? If the next generation could pick apart our life, pastors, would they find sound doctrine, or biblical truth. That is how we teach the next generation, sound doctrine. And parents, no, I didn't forget about you. Parents, how can you apply teaching or training the next generation sound doctrine? The ones with the biggest responsibility. Are you teaching your children sound doctrine? Are you reading the Bible with your kids? My dad used to get us up at 6 a.m. sharp. All right, and in the time, it seemed like the worst thing in the world. All right, school didn't start till eight, Dad. Why do we have to get up at six a.m.? Maybe for some of my sisters, they needed to get up that early to prepare. I don't know, Uh, but six a.m. was too early for many of us. But I still remember every day, almost of my life, getting up at six a.m., being dragged to the table. All right, all dreary-eyed, and many times. Many of us kids falling asleep in the middle of devotions. Yet my dad faithfully read God's word every morning. Went through the book of Proverbs, how to live a wise life. We were taught sound 
doctrine. So parents, are you sharing the word of God with your children? That's how we teach. Is the education you are giving your child full of sound doctrine, full of biblical truth? It should be important enough that it does. Are your child or children's devices used for sound doctrine? Are the movies including the opposite of sound doctrine? If that's true, we can look exactly what Paul is saying and say, you better beware of that. Anything that is contrary to sound doctrine, Paul is saying, you need to stay away from that. But unfortunately, we're teaching the next generation that it's okay to be as close to it as possible without actually committing the sin, right? It's okay to become numb to that sin when it's right in front of our eyes because we're not the one participating in it. Are we teaching them sound doctrine? Paul says beware because whether you like it or not, it's teaching. If it's against sound doctrine, it's still teaching. So parents, when your teenagers mess up, are you just taking away privileges and punishing them or seeing an opportunity to also incorporate sound doctrine and biblical truth? All right, Children don't need to be told they did something wrong. Children want to know why it's wrong. Children want to know why they're being punished. That's a perfect opportunity to incorporate sound doctrine. Are we teaching the next generation sound doctrine? You know the funny thing about sound doctrine or biblical truth? You can't have it without the Bible. So parents, laymen and women, pastors today, if you are not people in God's word, you might as well see the baton fumbled right now. Because we're not going to pass it on to the next generation. If you want to teach the next generation sound doctrine, yes, there's practical things that we can do that we just discussed. But you need to be a person of God's word on a daily basis. If you don't practice it, if you don't live it, if you're not in it, you're not going to know it, you're not going to share it, you're not going to teach it. Adults here tonight, if you are not in the Bible, you will not be teaching sound doctrine. And teenagers, without the Bible, you will not learn sound doctrine. Paul is saying anything that is not sound biblical teaching, put it far from you. And anything that is biblical, anything that is sound doctrine, get as close to that as you can. Grab onto it. Learn that, teenagers, and adults teach that. But you have to find it out first to learn it or to teach it. So the importance of sound doctrine, that's what he tells um, Timothy here, and we could spend a whole entire sermon on many of these truths, but we'll just kind of wrap them up very quickly. The second one that I see here is the importance of a pure heart. That's what we're to be teaching the next generation. Yes, sound doctrine. Also, the importance of a pure heart. In First Timothy one verse five, Paul says this: Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and a good conscience. And of faith unfeigned. Matthew 5 8 says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Psalm 51 10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. James 4 8 says, Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double minded. And Proverbs twenty two eleven says, He that loveth pureness of heart, 
For the grace of his lips, the king shall be satisfied. Training the next generation to have pure hearts will be an impossible task if we are not living with pure hearts ourselves. So when you see the word pure, really what it means is clean. All right, so that's what I think of when I think of the word pure. It's something that is clean. Now, when I hear the word clean, I also hear my mother's voice saying, clean your room, right? Or clean whatever mess you just made. For years, I shared a bedroom with my younger brother, who most of you have met now, uh, Tom. We shared a bedroom together, and looking back now, we probably also had the messiest bedroom. Um, And so we were told regularly to... Um, clean our room. Now, at this stage in our life, I remember a specific time. We were both in elementary, and sound doctrine was not what my brother and I were cleaving to at this time when we were told to clean our room. In fact, you might think this is lame or get a kick out of this, but actually what we were cleaving to was a phrase said in a Winnie the Pooh movie that we had just watched. All right, We were told to clean our room, and we had just watched a Winnie the Pooh movie named Crud. And it was all about Christopher Robert, Robbers, Robbins' messy room. And his mom told him to clean his room. And then the adventure happened all under his bed where he shoved all this stuff. And we will remember that at the beginning of the movie, there was this kind of jingle or song that said, the best place for all this stuff is under the bed. And that is what we were cleaving to. Not sound doctrine, but we were told to clean our room. And so we were very naive and weren't thinking that our parents could walk by at any time. And we start to clean our room and we are literally singing this jingle along with throwing everything under our bed if we were not giving giving it away already. And so my mother walks into us smiling from ear to ear singing this jingle and throwing everything under our bed. See, our definition of clean was just moving it to another spot, right? Just to take it out again later. But that's not what my mom wanted from us. She wanted it clean. She wanted the corners clean. She wanted under the bed, back in the corner, or whatever it might be, the dirty socks. She wanted it all taken out, and she wanted the room clean, without mar, without spot, without filth. She wanted it clean, usually because we're having company over or whatever it might be. She to have a pure heart means to have a clean heart. And that's what Paul is telling Timothy, and that's what we need to train the next generation with. A clean heart. To have a pure heart means to be living in an acceptable way before God, in public and in private. Blessed are the pure in heart, that is, whose minds, motives, and principles are pure. Who seek not only to have the external actions correct, but who desire to be holy in heart and who are. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. To have a pure heart means to have pure motives. When I think of a pure heart, I think of one of the times Christ, I believe it's in Mark 7, and he has a run-in with the Pharisees. Imagine that, right? Uh, And his disciples decide to eat without washing their hands. And the Pharisees have a huge problem with this, right? This was tradition. You wash your hands before eating um, so that you're not touching something that's not unclean when it goes through your mouth. 
And the Pharisees let Christ know, all right, um, that they were basically stalking Christ and his disciples and said, we saw your disciples eat without washing their hands. And Christ's response to them is very sad. He said, you Pharisees, you're, you're so concerned with this tradition. This isn't even a biblical principle here, Pharisees. This is something that some high priest a couple generations ago came up with. And you're so worried about that right now, but Christ tells them, your heart is far from me. So when we talk about purity or cleanliness, we're talking about a matter of the heart. It's motives behind why we do what we do. And that motive should be to please God. You see, we're not teaching the next generation all the outward things of Christianity. We're teaching the next generation that the inward motive is to know, love, and serve God. And when they capture that and when they learn that, then they're going to find some of the outward things are a product of that. But we're teaching the next generation that the heart needs to be clean. The motives need to be pure before God. That's what Paul, that's what Paul is telling Timothy here. We could say that it's very fit that the word pure is joined with heart when we look at Matthew uh, chapter 5 and verse 8. Because as bright and shining resemblance or image it may be seen, a clear and pure looking glass is the same as the face or the countenance or the actions of someone who is shining forth service and love for God. Purity deals with sin or filth. It is living a life as far as possible from that as you can. It's a matter of holiness. That's what we think of when we think of purity. And the standard of purity is God. What is acceptable before Him? Unfortunately, we're training the next generation in the area of purity. And the world around us is beginning to look a lot like the time of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. And if you study the character of Lot, you'll see something that's very interesting. The first time Lot is addressed with Sodom and Gomorrah, his initial response is, that is wrong. That is a sin. That is a sin before a holy God. And then you go over a couple chapters, and Lot's been around this sin for a little bit, and now he's okay with it. Now it's just part of life. It's what the world's doing, right? You go a couple chapters further, and he's not just okay with it, but his actions are showing he accepts it. And then unfortunately, the end of it is he's participating in it. You see, that's what our world is tending to look like today. We're not teaching the next generation pure hearts. We're teaching the next generation that it's okay to become stagnant and have no effect whatsoever when sin is brought before their eyes. When the right response of a pure heart is when you see sin, when you see the Lord's name taken in vain, or you see something immoral, that should automatically trigger a response that that is not right. That is wrong before a holy God. We're to be training the next generation of the importance of a pure heart. And then finally, this evening, and we're going to look at more of these next week. There's about ten of them I want to look at. But for sake of time tonight, Paul is also teaching Timothy the necessity of prayer. See, we're to be teaching the next generation, all of us tonight, by our words, by our example, by the um, experiences that we give them, 
We're to be teaching them sound doctrine, biblical truth. We're to be teaching them the importance of a pure heart. We're also to be teaching them the necessity of prayer. If you look here at 1 Timothy chapter 2 and look at the first eight verses, maybe in your Bible you would see it before chapter 2, something like a prayer or thanks for all. You see Paul goes through a prayer here and the importance and necessity of prayer. 1 John 5.14 says this, And this is the confidence that we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Ephesians 6, 8, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. You see, this isn't just a principle for pastors, right? These principles are for Christians. These are what we are to be teaching the next generation. Proverbs 15, 8, the sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination unto the Lord. But the prayer of the righteous, the upright, is his delight. And Romans 12, 12 says, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, Continuing instant in prayer. The necessity of prayer is what we should be teaching the next generations. I told the teenagers this, I think, a couple of Sundays ago. A story, I don't know if it's a true story or not, of a plane. And there was a pastor on the plane to go down. All right? And you can imagine um, all of the people that were scared in the plane. There was a lot of screaming Um, And just chaos throughout the plane. And the guy somehow knew he was sitting by a pastor. All right. And so in the midst of all the chaos, he said, quick, do something spiritual. And the pastor got up and took an offering. All right. Not exactly the spiritual response he was wanting. He was wanting prayer. Do something. Right. You're a pastor. The necessity of prayer should be high on our priority list in teaching the next generation. Why is that? Because it's a tool that God answers. It's something that God uses. It helps us to be close to our Creator and our Savior. When I think of prayer, I think of my youth pastor when I was a senior in high school. And I had never really experienced prayer outside of my parents, who I'll talk about here in a second. And this light, like I did my youth pastor, many of you might know him, Nate O'Rourke. And I remember being challenged by his lifestyle. Because every time I would go into his office, he was praying. And I would go into his office almost daily. To this day, I get a text once a week saying he's praying for me. I also knew a man, I didn't really know them, but I met him about once a year. Maybe you know his name, Damian Ahrens, over at Tri-City. I remember going to max competition every year and preaching. And every year, he didn't even know my name, but if he knew I was going into preaching... He stopped me in the hall and prayed with me. He didn't even know who I was. I remember my parents multiple times gathering us kids on a school night or whatever it might be, saying, guys, let's pray for your older brother. Let's let's pray for your grandma. Let's pray for this hurting family in the church. See, they were teaching us kids the necessity of prayer because God answers prayer. Because it's a tool One of our teenagers um, was able to preach for the fine arts competition this last year, and they preached on the armor of God. And you know what it says right after the passage of the armor of God? What you need to fight temptation? Prayer. It's part of the armor of God. We're to be teaching the next generation the importance of prayer. So 
laymen and women, when teenagers, the next generation, look at your life, do they see people of prayer? Pastors, do they see people of prayer? Parents, are you praying with your children? It's a tool, it's a weapon that is vital, that is important if we're going to have victory in the Christian life and we're going to see God work. You don't think that the next generation, we would have a smooth handoff if families, if adults had a passion for prayer. You see, Paul is teaching Timothy many of these things. He's teaching the next generation many of these things. We're going to look at more of them next week. But tonight, three simple ones. But how can we apply it? Teenagers tonight, are you actively trying to learn these things? Sound doctrine. Is that important to you, teenagers? Biblical truth. A pure heart. Is that what you are striving for? Being acceptable before God in private and in public. And prayer. Is that something that you are excited about, teenagers? And adults here tonight, whatever your role is, whether it's a pastor, a parent, or a lay man or woman here tonight, how are you teaching the next generation sound biblical teaching, sound biblical doctrine, a pure heart, a clean heart, and the necessity of prayer. That's what Paul is teaching Timothy here. And he's teaching Timothy, and he's giving an example here that the recipe for a successful handoff of the baton to know, love, and serve God takes sound doctrine, a pure heart, and prayer. And if we're going to teach it to the next generation, we also have to be people of it. Because we teach by example, we have to know it to teach by words. So how are we doing? How can we apply it to our lives? Let's pray.